Good morning. We will continue with the summer series in the Psalms, and we will be looking at Psalm 43, verses 1 through 5. And every generation, in fact, every person needs to come to the point where they can see with hope what God has in store for their future. And Psalm 43, verses 1 through 5 has a, is a great starting point. But our senior pastor had uh, sent to the ministerial staff when this pandemic had first begun an article that ended with these words, which to me sums everything up as we look at each generation. It says, we are playing a game no one now living has ever played before. We are for reasons known only to God on the front line on the starting team. Let us act today to build as best we can for the love of our neighbor and for the glory of God. Of God. So I ask you to please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 43, verses 1 through 5, and I ask you to please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Please join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might see wonderful truth out of your word this morning. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do you go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Again, please join me in prayer. Lord, you say in this psalm that we're to pray, send out your light and your truth and let them lead us. Lord, we ask for that now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Please be seated. One of the famous cinematographic movie uh, endings, or excuse me, uh, clips in history is when Rocky is uh, running up the uh, Museum for uh, Art uh, steps in Philadelphia, getting ready for the uh, great uh, championship that he would win for the heavyweight championship of the world. But in my mind, the better scene is what happens in Creed 1, where they have that same scene, except They have an old white man and a young black man, Rocky and Creed Jr., walking up those steps together. And for me, it it becomes a paradigm for what I hope our future is going to look like as a country, that we are going to be, instead of in opposite corners from one another, that you'll hear these men laughing together and you'll hear a common ground together. And you hear that they're really in each other's corner. And what a sweet picture that is. In fact, you've heard that in our church we are trying to have uh, dinner uh, gatherings where we will have dinner uh, to try to bring the races together, to try to talk about biblical justice and to find the best reconciliation that is possible. And that would be in Jesus Christ our Lord. And to me, this is a, a good paradigm, a good picture for us to see what those relationships could look like. Uh, Please watch it with me. 
<laughs> I just want to see if I can get up these steps. What's the first time you came here? I was 12. I think it's my favorite place. When you get to the top, you think you can fly. We rest at the top. Submit it. Nah, that's what you asked for, right? Let's go, one step at a time. Come on. One step at a time. Who told you that? Some old guy. No, I meant that for you, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think they added a few more stuff. I don't know. Uh, I want to take these last two. What's that? Uh, How you feeling? Uh, oh, good. Really good. You like that, old man? Yeah. Nice view. You know, if you look hard enough, you can see your whole life from up here. How's it look? Not bad at all. And you? Not bad at all. Each generation by faith in God has to look out and know that in God's plan, it ain't bad. In fact, to know that God has a purpose and a place and there's nothing that can thwart that purpose or place, that God is indeed in control and our hope is built, as we like to sing, on nothing but Jesus Christ and His righteousness. In this passage this morning, it gives us a good uh, link to how to recover and to discover our future that God has for us. And I don't, it doesn't matter whether you're battling addictions and you're looking for recovery or you're looking for an economic recovery, everything boils down to a spiritual recovery. And this passage shows us how to move forward. We often like to call the Psalms God's psychology book. And in this particular passage, it really shows us a phenomenal way in which to go forward in the confidence of God and to recognize that His plan for recovery, whatever that may be, but particularly spiritual recovery, is always the best. So in verses 1 through 2, we see that we are to cry out to God for future recovery. If we're concerned about the future or our lives, then the first person we need to talk to is God. And the truth of the matter is when we get fearful, the first person we usually talk to is ourselves. And that's the big mistake right there. The first person we want to talk to, the first person we want to cry out to is God. And look at how specifically the psalmist is with God. He specifically asked God to vindicate me, to defend my cause against an ungodly people, 
and to deliver me. He is very clear as to what he is asking God to do. Also notice that within asking God specifically for help, he makes a statement of confidence, a theological statement. He says, for you are the God, verse 2, of whom I take refuge. And the little phrase refuge could be translated, you are the God in whom I find my safety. And God is the one that we find our safety, particularly when we think of the future. He is the one who is going to guide us. He is the one who is never going to lead us nor forsake us. But notice the very next verse. Why have you rejected me? Even in English, that comes across where we, where, where we want to tear up a little bit because this psalmist feels as though God has rejected him. In the Hebrew, it actually is a much stronger phrase. It, it means that the psalmist felt that God not only had rejected him, but that God was, felt that he was abhorrent, that, that he didn't even want to look at him. Now, we all know that our feelings do not dictate truth. Our feelings are wrong all the time. But nonetheless, the psalmist was honest with God about the feeling that he was having at that point. And we call this a lament in Scripture. A lament is the bridge between despair and hope. We don't want to remain in despair, but in the same time we haven't really reached that point of hope yet. So Scripture is God's way of building a bridge between despair and hope that we lament to God. We tell God our honest feelings and what is really going on, recognizing that we're to be humble, that our feelings are not the last word. Because notice what he prays for in verse 3. Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. He recognized that he was in a dark place, and therefore, he needed God's light to help him see the things that he was not seeing at the time. So now we go on to the second part of recovering our future. And that is by understanding God's providential plan in recovery. And that's found in verses 3 through 4. It's very clear how he is looking at recovery. And by the way, recovery, whatever that is, is a week-to-week process. It's not something you do one day and you got it and you never have to worry about it again. You talk to anyone who's been addicted to anything and they'll tell you that in addiction recovery, it's a week-to-week process. Well, that's not only true for them, it's true for everyone who's ever walked the face of this earth who knows sin, that it's a week to weak recovery restoration process. So notice what he says here, what he's praying for from Monday through Saturday. He says, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Well, of course, your truth is referring to the Word of God. In fact, in Hebrew, it says, send forth the truth of you, God. It is God's truth. It is God talking to us. It is an unforgettable conversation with God over his word. But it also says, send forth your light, which again in Hebrew is send forth the light of you, God. And it's showing that this book, as wonderful as it is, has to be enlightened to us, has to be illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So we're, we're asking that the Holy Spirit who indwells us gives us the light of the Word of God that we're reading. In fact, every Sunday morning when you come into our church, you'll see that the Scriptures are read faithfully, but also you'll always see a prayer attached to the Scriptures. That's called the prayer of illumination. And the reason for that is that we're praying that the author of this book helps us understand the truth of the Word of God. And so he's praying from Monday through Saturday that God would send forth light and truth from his Word and that they would lead him and that it would bring him to your holy hill, which in this context is probably Mount Zion, But we're always asking God to give us an unforgettable conversation throughout the week so that we know what God is up to. From Monday through Saturday, these are private conversations that we're having with God about what He has for us. And they come to this holy hill. One of the reasons why I am concerned about the generations and that the generations getting a vision for the hope that they have in Christ and Christ alone is because I've become a new grandfather and I wanted to introduce you to my grandson here, uh, little Luke. He's uh, three months old. And I took my family to my favorite mountain place. Uh, and I had three generations in this picture, but my favorite mountain place is a mountain place that I say, you can see it all. And so when this picture was taken, the, the, our little three-month-year-old three grandson uh, put his hand on his daddy, kind of say, it's going to be all right, old man, it's going to be all right. It is so important that we have the correct view of the future. It is so important that we are on that holy hill. And do you know in Scripture there is a place where God raises you up on that holy hill so that you can see it all, see the whole counsel of God, and see the plan of God? Christians love to say that we can relax and it's going to be all right because we have read the last pages of the Bible. And we know how God brings it all through Jesus Christ to his perfect conclusion. In chapter 19 and chapter 20 and chapter 21 and chapter uh, 22 of the book of Revelation. But do you know where our beloved St. John got some of his information for his great ending of the whole of Scripture? He got it from what is called, theologians call it, the book of comfort in the Old Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. Those 27 chapters... Theologians call the book of comfort because it begins with the phrase, comfort my people, comfort my people. And there is no more fortifying words probably in Scripture than Isaiah 40 through 66. And in those, that, in those great words, he gives the great prophecy that someday God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And that is exactly what John picks up in the book of Revelation, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we await the great second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we know that is going to be a grand day. You remember when Martin Luther King, right before he was assassinated, what he said in his final message to the world? 
In fact, it's called, uh, I went to the mountaintop. That's the speech, his name. And at the end of the speech, he writes these immortal words. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anyone, I would love to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I am not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I am happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. And every person, every generation has to see their lives in the light of the coming of Jesus Christ. And knowing that everything that they do for the call of God is going to be a part of God wrapping up this planet in exactly the way he has planned to his glory and to our good. Now, as we look at this passage, we now go to verse 5, which is now the opportunity for us to speak to ourselves. You see, verses 1 and 2 are really telling us, don't go to yourself first for the answer. Go to God first for the answer. Have a conversation with God. And verses 3 and 4 are saying that that unforgettable conversation that you're going to have with God is going to take place Monday through uh, Saturday. And then notice what it says here in verse 4. Then, then I will go, after you've had those unforgettable conversations with God, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. After you have been talking to God all week, the grand crescendo of your week is when you come to worship God corporately. Not individually now, but corporately on the Christian Sabbath as we are worshiping today. And notice what God is called here in corporate worship. Our exceeding joy. What does the great catechism say? Question. What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. When we come to worship God on His, this His day, the Lord's day, this is our exceeding joy to be worshiping Him together as a corporate body because He is our joy. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. There is not one day that we will ever be able to look at where God was not there absolutely with you. Now, there's many days like the psalmist where we feel like he's rejected us, but the Scriptures are very clear that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And when we are in corporate worship, this is our opportunity to praise the audience of one, that we have come here, God, for no other purpose. We have gathered all across the city for no other purpose than to worship you, our exceeding joy. God is indeed our joy. And then, according to verse 5, we can begin to talk to ourselves. And that is when he says, to recover our to recover the future, to recover the joy, we have to have confidence in God's future for us. 
And he says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? I love this passage because it's so true. The last person we want to talk to is ourselves. We want to first talk to God. Then we want to spend a whole lot of conversation with God. And then when we do finally get to tell ourselves something, we need to contradict ourselves. We need to actually talk back to ourselves and say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within you? You may feel like God has rejected you, but you know scripturally, you know deep in your heart that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And then you can now say what the psalmist will say to himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. No matter what, you can hope in God because no matter what, he is always going to be your salvation. You can hope in God because of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. That's why you can hope in God. According to the book of Romans, because God would send his Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins, it says, asks the beautiful question, will he not give you all things? It shows that his heart is absolutely for you. Also, uh, we had a situation uh, here in this country where a CNN commentator had uh, mentioned that he felt that Jesus was not perfect. And one of the legendary uh, Hall of Fame football coaches who won a Super Bowl, Tony Dungy, uh, decided to have Sunday school class in front of the entire nation and said, well, if that's true, then... We don't have a salvation as a Christian people because the reason why we look to Jesus Christ as our Savior is because he paid the perfect sacrificial sins for us. He has to be perfect for our sins to be transferred on to him and for his righteousness to be transferred back to us. And he got a lot of people uh, criticizing him. And I love his final response Uh, to all that were trying to uh, assail him. He says, please read your Bible. And then he quotes one verse in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. He quoted right back to them the gospel, the sinlessness of Christ so that he could be the perfect Savior for our souls. The reason why we can hope in God is because of Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right this moment, right now it says, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. As I was preparing for the sermon I undercovered a quote that I had never heard from Martin Luther, the great reformer, before. And I wanted to uh, share it with you in terms of God's confidence in the future. Martin Luther says, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. And that's absolutely true. 
We can stake our life on the plan, purpose, the gospel redemption of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, a thousand times, and God's grace will always come through for us. Uh, Recently, one of my uh, favorite uh, modern theologians by the name of Jay Packer uh, died and went to be with the Lord. And uh, I loved him so much because when I was younger, I read his book, Knowing God, and it had such a sanctifying influence on my life. Uh, As he was coming to the end of his life, uh, he was going to be asked some some of the standard questions that you ask people. And one of the questions that he was asked was, what did he think that he did best for the kingdom of God? And he says, well, I think it was being the general editor of the ESV, the English Standard Version, the the version of the Bible that we use here at Oak Mountain, because it has been able to put the Word of God into so many people's hands and made it accessible and people can read it. They ask him, well, if, if you could give us one, one piece of advice for the world after all your theological knowledge, what would it be? And uh, J.I. Packer was a brief man. He was a concise man, despite the fact that he wrote like 30 books. He said, well, I can answer that in four words. Glorify Christ. And I forgot the last two words now that I'm looking at you guys. All right. Glorify Christ every way. To include when you make a mistake, glorify Christ. Just gives me an opportunity to say one more time, we are desperate for Jesus Christ. We never can be under our own authority or power because we will make a big mistake every time. Do not go to yourself for the answers, but desperately, sweetly, lovingly go to Christ for all the answers. Because he will really take you up on that high mountain and let you see all that you need to see. And where is the real holy hill found for the Christian? We have a phrase that we like to use as the Christian people. Take everything to the foot of the cross. You have a problem, take it to the foot of the cross. Well, where was exactly historically the foot of the cross? It was on a short, small little hill called Golgotha, which means in Aramaic, the skull. In Latin, we call it Calvary. We take everything to the foot of the cross, the holy hill where we really see it all, all of what God is going to do for us is when we take it to the cross of Jesus Christ and recognize that if he would do that for us, he will do and give us all things in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And for us to know that he has covered all our sins, He has washed them away because of the precious shed blood that was so precious that it could cover not only our sins in this generation, but the sins of all of his people that God, our God, will call in all the generations. And we give him all the glory and the praise. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this, your word, We thank you and praise you for the gospel. We thank you and praise you for your grace. And mostly we thank you for Jesus. 
We give him all the glory, Lord, because he has done so much for us. And we know, as it says, that every knee shall bow at some point and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, all to the glory of God the Father. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.